This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a podcast from Joy's jazz show, Bent Notes. Tune in live each Sunday night at joy.org.au. My very special guest on Bent Notes is an Australian saxophonist, band leader, composer, educator and author who describes his influences as eclectic. In the early 80s, he spent some time performing the classical repertoire, but it's looking forward to performing the music of Michael Brecker. It's my pleasure to bid a very warm welcome back to Bent Notes to Andy Sugg. Welcome, Andy. Thank you, David. Thank you. Lovely to be talking to you again. It has been a little while, but lovely to have you back online again. I read that you played the classical repertoire back in the 80s. Was was that a career direction that you were thinking about at the time? I think back then your options about if you, were, if you wanted to study music formally through universities and so on, it was very early in the piece with jazz education in Australia anyway. America had started a little bit earlier. Just Australia, there was a sort of a few years lag. I think, I'm trying to remember that far back. I think that that was probably the only option I had at the time was to study if I wanted to, you know, like study, you know, go through university music. Uh, the classical was the thing that was available to me at the time. So... You know, and I ended up not doing that uh, professionally, but it was a fantastic experience, and I don't regret for a second that I did it. I imagine it would be a great opportunity to to get the the technique right and become accustomed to playing with other people. Well, it, that that's right, and you know, the people who become your professors and so on uh, in, in uh, classical music education at universities, they're incredibly highly trained they're amazing musicians and they played all around the world and so on. so it's a little bit like in a way it's a little bit like becoming bilingual you, you you learn you have to learn you know to as sort of as high a level as you can a different kind of accent to the music and and it's it's uh you know it all feeds into you know what you know and who you are as a musician so it was great but you know but i didn't it's a very very small scene just not the music that I ended up, you know, wanting to play. When did the jazz creep in? <laughs> well, I mean, the jazz was always there right from the start. But like I said, it was the, if you wanted to sort of like really do a deep dive in a formal sense with, you know, formal teaching and so on, that option wasn't available to me right then. But no, I grew up, my father was a a, a big jazz fan and he had, you know, his music, of course, was the big band era. You know, he had, there were Glenn Miller records at home and Benny Goodman records and, you know, and uh, they would get, oh, I would play along with them on the saxophone and on the clarinet. So, yeah, so I, I sort of grew up with this music around me and, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very glad I did. <laughs> it's fantastic. Were you playing jazz at the time that you were also studying classical? I was, I was. And uh, <laughs> that was... That was that was very interesting. I'll never ever forget. I I had one particular day. There was a festival, an annual festival, celebrating the music of Anton Webern, who was a student of Arnold Schoenberg. 
So this is like 20th century avant-garde classical music. This is as heavy as it gets. And there was a festival on one particular weekend and Webern had written one quartet that had a tenor saxophone in it, a piano and a violin and a clarinet and a saxophone. So I did that. I did that thing. I did that, that festival that afternoon. And that night I had to play, I had a gig playing in a in the, the brass section of a punk rock band. Oh, wow. <laughs> On the same day. What a combination. <laughs> punk rock guys would come out with white sort of bodysuits on with great big green fig leaves over their vitals. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, the brass section didn't have to do that. And uh, I, I thought, wow, this is like, <laughs> being a musician is just the craziest thing. <laughs> <laughs> and did you take the avant-garde music along to the punk music? <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I kept them very, very separate. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have to tell you there are way more people at the punk rock band than there were yeah, at the classical music gig. <laughs> a, a little more popular at the time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as well as being a performer, a composer, an educator, a band leader, you're also an author. Look, I am. I am. As, I, I, I did. I did. I did as, a PhD a long, long time ago, uh, and a publishing company based in Wales and in the states wanted to publish it as a book. So, oh, wow. they did. The, yeah. The influence of John Coltrane on improvising saxophonists. What a subject. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. I have to. Te- I have to tell you that. When I signed the contract with the um, publishing house, the very first clause that I had to agree to was they get to name the book. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. I thought, I did that. I didn't call it that. But, um, <laughs> and they had their reasons for calling, you know, calling it that, which I'm still not 100% sure of. But anyway, it's, you know, that, that's the book. And it was, it was um, you know, I'm very lucky to have it published and distributed all around the world yeah. and so on. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. We're only a two-hour program, Andy, so can you give us the very brief perspective on whether John Coltrane has influenced improvising saxophonists? <laughs> well, yeah, of course he has. And, you know, he died in 1967, so, you know, it's a long time ago now, but there was a generation immediately after him who came up in the the 70s and the 80s uh, of saxophone players and they were enormously influenced by what the Coltrane had done. They incorporated Coltrane's sort of hardcore jazz language into the rising pop music that was coming up during that time. And that really, you know, like in a very, very brief way, that really explains... What, what they were playing, the language that they were using. And then Michael Brecker was almost, his age is not, he wasn't quite the, completely the next generation, but almost. He was almost the next generation. He was a little bit younger than those guys. And he did the same thing again. So Coltrane's language is, is still very, very strong in, in Michael Brecker. So yeah, enormously, enormously influential. Not in not in the sense that everyone just slavishly copies him. Not in a way where it kills your creativity or or whatever. It's just sort of like a foundation from which to step out. Enormously influential. Sort of like uh, rules and regulations that you follow, but you do your own thing. 
Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that absolutely. was a beautiful segue, Andy, to Michael Brecker. Uh-huh. Uh, Who was good. Michael Brecker <laughs> and why is he as important to the world of music as John Coltrane was? Yeah, well, that, 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 that is a very good question. So Brecker grew up in the 60s in Philadelphia from a musical family. He had a brother who was a very, very fine trumpet player who's still, still playing great now, a brother called Randy. Their dad was a jazz musician, so they sort of, you know, got it. They grew up with the music in their home and became very uh, adept at it at an early age. And then they moved from Philadelphia to New York and started playing with sort of famous people. And then they became, you know, through that they get a profile and everybody knows them and so on. And then eventually they start doing their own projects. Mike, Michael was... He, Michael died, by the way, he died about 10 years ago. He was a, this, um, an amazing virtuoso on the instrument. He was a wonderful composer. He straddled the pop music of the period and jazz with equal sort of comfort and, 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 in, and in a way sort of developed a style that was sort of a combo of both those things and simply did that better than everybody else. It must have been a bit better because he's won 15 Grammys. Yeah, I know. What? I, was, I was thinking, just before, just before you called, I was thinking, how many Grammys did Miles Davis win? And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm pretty sure it's nothing like 15. It's an extraordinary uh, number of awards. And I'm, I think also, I think Paul McCartney's only won three more. So it's like, he's right up there at that level. And it's a funny thing because if your whole thing is jazz, well, then there would be a, a, a you know, very significant part of um, Mike Brecker's uh, work that maybe, maybe you wouldn't know about, you know, if you weren't listening to pop music at the same time. But no, he was enormously influential. And the funny thing is, throughout all that career, he only came to Australia one time. And then it wasn't even with his own band. He came with uh, Paul Simon's Graceland tour. So Simon was, was do, that album was so huge for him. He, you know, he did a world, a long world tour. Look, it took about a year. And Mike was, Mike was in that band. Towards the end of that year, they got to Australia. So we got to hear Mike live. Then this was a long time ago. This was like twenty. I don't know. Like, when was that? Twenty five, thirty years ago, maybe. But he was, you know, but he was doing Paul Simon's. Music. He was doing the music of that album, so we never we never heard him do his own music ever in Australia live. Which was so you know just at the start of the pandemic, someone said to me, you know, you should do this thing, you should do 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 a Brecker show, play his music here, and you know we wanted to do it uh, right back then, but you know we've sort of had to wait two and a half years to be able to put it together. I have no doubt it will be well worth the wait. Who have you got performing with you? Well, I'm doing it with another saxophone player, John Mackey, who's this amazing tenor saxophone player who's based in New South Wales. The rhythm section, Melbourne people. There's Brett Williams, or lives in Melbourne now, but he's really a, a New Yorker, but he's been, uh, you know, he lives here now. And then the a drummer, uh, Felix Bloxham, fantastic drummer who himself has been lived for a very long time and worked in New York and L.A., and the bass player, Philip Rex, you know, definitely one of the best bass players in the country. So it's a fantastic band. It is amazing. It's very hard music, very difficult music to play. So you need to have 
heavy-duty musicians with you. So it's difficult music to play, but it's very, very easy music to listen to. <laughs> How much fun have you had trying to put it together and select the pieces that you're going to perform? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult kind of thing. It, you feel, it's a little bit like curating, you feel like you're curating someone's entire output. You think, well, you know, we can only do, in two sets, we might do nine or ten tunes, it's an enormous amount of albums that he's put out uh, as a uh, you know as a leader, and then uh, all the albums as a you know as a uh, as a sideman. His discography so it, goes forever. <clears throat> oh, it does. Yeah. there's just so much so much music to choose from, and I I know I know that you know at the end of the show someone's going to come up to me and say, "But why didn't you do that tune? <laughs> why didn't you do that tune?" It's just like. We have to do ten sets. <laughs> oh well, we'll, we'll hang around, no problem. <laughs> so you're performing uh, the music of Michael Brecker at Bird's Basement on Saturday, October one. A beautiful venue, beautiful sound there to listen to. That will be well worth hearing and seeing. To find all about you, Andy, it's uh, andysug.com, and for the yep. actual gig itself, it's birdsbasement.com. Andy, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Bent Notes tonight. It's been lovely to speak with you again, and more importantly, to hear about Michael Brecker. Yeah, thank you, David. Yeah, nice to talk to you again too. All, all the best. Thanks very much, Andy. My special guest has been Melbourne-based saxophonist Andy Sugg. You're listening to Bent Notes on Joy 94.9. You've been listening to a podcast from Bent Notes. Join us live each Sunday night on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.